Hi there, and welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I am your host, Shango Los. The Gontrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly to entrepreneurs, cannabis growers, product developers, and cannabis medicine researchers, all focused on making the most of cannabis normalization. As your host, I do my best to bring you original cannabis industry ideas that will ignite your own entrepreneurial spark and give you actionable information to improve your business strategy and improve your health and the health of cannabis patients everywhere. Today is our 54th episode and it will be my last as podcast host for Gondrepreneur. I have very much enjoyed bringing you interviews with some of the brightest minds in the cannabis industry. The Gondrepreneur podcast will continue without me and I will be moving on to a book tour and a few other exciting media projects over the next six months in addition to continuing to teach cannabis business to motivated entrepreneurs. If you like my approach to cannabis and want to stay in touch, I encourage you to go to shangolose.com and sign up for my newsletter so you can stay up to date. Thank you for sharing time with me, and now on with the show. Today, my guest is Kenny Morrison. Kenny Morrison is founder and CEO of Venice Cookie Company, now known as VCC Brands, specializing in cannabis edibles for the California market, and co-founder of Evergreen Herbal, a licensed Washington cannabis edibles and oils maker. Welcome to the show, Kenny. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Glad you could be here. So, you know, Venice Cookie Company was launched in California and has expanded into Washington as Evergreen Herbal. You know, tell me a little bit about the early days of the company. Uh, we started in 2008, um, co-founded it with uh, Marco Hoffman, a longtime friend and uh, conspirator. Um, we... Uh, we were pretty early on in the scene and, you know, we just were looking to solve the problem of, of, uh, patients in California and collectives being able to get a hold of products that were made by, uh, you know, uh, an organization beyond what's sort of in the early days been referred to as the backpacker. <clears throat> a lot of people in the early days were coming into the dispensaries that they were members of coming into their collective with, you know, food products cannabis activated food products in a backpack and there just seems something a little you know maybe not so uh, health compliant about that so really it was our goal to set up a, a business where we could um, provide products that were made by serve safe certified chefs and in, in health compliant kitchens and uh, package them with I'll have really informative packaging and, and just let people know through the branding and through the product experience that they're really well taken care of on multiple levels. Yeah, and I, I bet the standardization of dose was something that you were able to bring as well. Because, like, you know, those backpack days, you know, brownie number one is a different strength than brown, brownie number seven, which is different than brownie number 12. And that's one of the challenging things when you're, when you know, eat, heck, even if you're not a patient, even if you're just a recreational user, uh, you know, you want to know what your experience is going to be like every time. And so those standardization, I can see how that would be a real benefit to, to patients and others alike. Yeah, we learned really, really early on that, um, you know, most people you've discussed edibles with, 99% of them have had an experience where maybe they got a bigger dose than they were hoping for. So we learned really, really early on 
that is not something we want to hear people say. Yeah. <laughs> we want to give people, uh, you know, a sense of, uh, you know, safety and repeatability and consistency and uh, teach people, you know, how many milligrams their dose was. So from the beginning, yeah, that, was big, uh, that was a big goal. Right on, right on. So, so VCC Brands has a wide array of products. And, you know, uh, when I was last down in Southern California, I got to see them, you know, in dispensaries. And, you know, it was pretty astonishing. I mean, you guys go from hard candies to chocolates to tea bags and other beverages and tinctures. And, you know, a lot of cannabis startups trip over themselves just trying to bring a product to the market. And yet you've got, you know, you've got a lot of SKUs. Um, can you give us a snapshot of what your product development cycle looks like? Because you, you must have something down that, that other folks are still to catch up on. Uh, what does a product cycle look like? I mean, it's, it, I guess it really starts with, um, you know, the sales team and, and what they feel they need to, uh, to effectively serve the market and serve the patient. Um, or the consumer, depending on where it is, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm really really big on making sure everybody um, is part of the process, and <clears throat> it's very um, it, it takes a it takes a certain level of obsessiveness to really think of every possible approach and every possible outcome and refine refine refine. Um, I mean, just the proofreading process alone for a label with all of the required regulatory warnings and and space for the UBI code or the space for, you know, the, your lot and batch label just, it, it takes a lot of work. It definitely helps to be obsessive and it definitely helps to like live it, breathe it, think, you know, dream about it. You know, literally the first thing I think about in the morning when I wake up at, you know, 5.30 or 6.30, the first thought in my mind is always something to do with, um, product development or uh, some aspect of the business, some aspect of communicating more effectively, all those sort of things. So, uh, you know, passion, I guess to boil it down to one word, if you're passionate about it, it makes it easy to, to deal with it. And you have to have a certain mind, a certain mindset. You have to have a certain, um, you know, a, approach. You have to, you know, they say writing is rewriting. And I think brand product development is is developing is redeveloping and, and refining and questioning everything, questioning absolutely everything. You know, one of the things that you, you start, you mentioned at the beginning of your answer, I think is really important for us to highlight. And that is um, that you ask your sales team what they think that they can sell. What are they seeing on the street as something that is being uh, looked for or overlooked in the market where the opportunity is? Because so many product developers, they come up with a novel idea on their own and they don't really do any market research. They're like, oh, I got this cool idea. I'm going to go ahead and make this thing. So they develop time into, you know, developing the, the, the food or the beverage or the whatever it is. And then they, you know, then they spend time on the, on the labeling and the packaging. And then they go to the market and they, they teach their salespeople how to sell it. And, and they're kind of hoping it's going to sell. You turn that on its head. And so you go to your salespeople and say, where's the opportunity because you are aware of the market front on the front lines. And I think that is a very important delineation to make. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it can work both ways, right? Like Steve Jobs used to say that the customer doesn't know what they want until we show them what they want. And I think sometimes that is true. Um, sometimes we've reached out for, you know, feedback from the market and actually welcomed market research. We put that product out and it's not as big as we thought it would be. You know, we even were discussing the other day these cappuccino flavored Lay's potato chips or the chicken and waffles flavored Lay's yeah. potato <laughs> chips. Those are ideas that are, you know, sometimes when you go to the public and you ask them for an idea, they don't necessarily think of something that is going to um, be desired by tons of people. They're more interested in sort of uh, something that's innovative and new and different. And, you know, different isn't always what's necessary. You know, uh, just because you can make it doesn't mean you can't, you should, you know. So it, sometimes it can work that way where you can you can just in a vacuum come up with something that, um, the, you know, the masses will really appreciate. And uh, more often than not, um, you know, it's best to go with uh, what the market is telling you via your sales team. And I guess that's really because at this early stage, we're just now starting to get some reliable market data from different companies like Headset in Washington and, you know, other companies elsewhere. So, you know, we're it's one of the toughest parts about the product development process is that there's not a lot of solid um, market research available uh, but and that's just starting to change, which is really helpful. Right on, cool. Well, I want to talk specifically about a couple of your different products, but before we do that, we should probably go, go ahead and take our first break. Uh, you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. We'll be right back. Marketing and brand agencies can be really unhelpful sometimes. I mean, you pay them and you have meetings, but there doesn't always seem to be real value created. Sure, they may make you a logo or a website and you talk about the image your company wants to project, but that is not always reflected in the bottom line in the form of actual revenue. For a lot of startups, everything has got to feed the bottom line just so they can survive. That's what blunt branding does. They feed your bottom line. Blunt is very different from other agencies because their principals, Kirsten Nelson and Anthony Garcia, are experts in psychological marketing. For example, they don't just write copy for your website. They write copy that includes hooks and triggers for every Myers-Briggs personality type. Most copywriters tend to write only for people who think like them. Blunt branding does better than that. They reach all your potential customers. In fact, if there is a certain kind of customer that you don't want, say, argumentative folks, Blunt will write you copy that attracts everyone else, but will tend to repel the kind of customer that gives you grief. I'm not kidding. The strategy is used by their attorney clients all the time. Your brand is much more than a logo. You see, most customers wait for some company to wow them with something more than they came shopping for, especially when there are so many options, right? They're looking for a brand to anticipate their questions or solve their problems or just make them feel seen, heard, and valued. I know that can sound corny, but we all know that we buy from the companies we feel most engaged with, and blunt branding will get them climbing over your competitors to get to you. If you cannot risk business failure, you should be working with a marketing team who understands that their goal is not just to make you pretty, but to directly increase your sales success too. Go to BluntBranding.com to find out more.
Welcome back. You are listening to the Godpreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Lowe's, and our guest this week is Kenny Morrison, founder of Venice Cookie Company and co-founder of Evergreen Herbal. So before the break, we were talking about uh, the product development cycle and the wide array of products that uh, VCC Brands has. And you know, one of the things that you guys have got that I really like is your beverage, your um, your quencher beverages, and and you know that is one of the challenges that people across the country are having is bringing a decent beverage to the market so many good yeah <laughs> so you know so many people like they you know, you know it's either not shelf stable and it, and it divides in the store or they have a hard time homogenizing it or or the color changes you know beverages are real pain in the butt so, um you know what was you know i'm not asking for trade secrets but tell us a little bit about how you came to your formula for your beverages other than a lot of swearing probably Honestly, I think every problem or every product poses its own problems, you know. One product that makes beverages completely different than, you know, other products that most of our competitors sell is just the the sheer volume that they take up. Um, we have companies who compete with us by delivering in Priuses and other small vehicles. And when you're a, a beverage distributor, you can't do that. I've had people tell me, you know, the the, the black hole on any P&L for a beverage company is freight. And, um, you know, that's definitely true. So, uh, so when you, when, when working on your own beverages, did you know, I mean, I guess the ones that I've had of yours, they, they're kind of, uh, you know, they're in different flavors, but they're kind of fruit punchy. So did you, did you originally start with that idea for a beverage or did you find that you wanted to do a beverage and that format actually, you know, had the, 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 the easiest, uh, development cycle for you? Interesting story here is, you know, the the beverage started in California as a non-carbonated drink, and we definitely went into it with a concept. Um, I I basically approached a food scientist and said that, uh, you know, I want to model it after Santa Cruz Organics or uh, Newman's Own Lemonade, Mm -hmm. you know, something that had pulp, something that was uh, as natural as possible, um, something that was as organic as possible. And, um, and we, we, we started the beverage in California as uh, a non-carbonated uh, drink, right? And then we moved into uh, no sugar added versions that are strictly sweetened uh, by the sweet juice instead of uh, cane sugar. And then when we took our recipes to Washington and released them in the uh, medical market, they were a big success. Everyone really appreciated them. Um, but when I-502 came around, uh, the WSDA actually uh, disallowed uh, a non-carbonated beverage. So kind of back to the product development thing and the, the, the problems with beverages is the state of Washington actually disallowed our drink that we had originally conceptualized as you know, a, a natural uh, fruit juice lemonade, and kind of in a weird way insisted that it be carbonated and almost become a soda pop, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never wanted to refer to our products as soda. I, you know, that's why I think we we went with the name Cannabis Quencher Sparkling in Washington. Yeah. It's you know, it's a sparkling beverage. Um, 
but yeah, there's been a lot of challenges along the way. And, you know, I think the good thing to remember is back when we started in California in 2008 and developed the, the beverage in 2010, it was actually really hard to find food scientists that were willing to work with us. Um, we went to one facility to, to bottle the beverages and the guy literally had a panic attack wow. in the middle of filling up uh, filling up the equipment. Um, just as we were doing it, uh, um, a, a sheriff happened to drive by outside the facility, or maybe it was just a security guard drove by um, in front of this this big building with many many units, many tenants, and the guy literally had a panic attack and just said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Oh man. And, uh, you know, Marco and I remember saying, Hey, you know, this, this is not for you. And we respected his concerns and understood that, uh, you know, in the early days it, it took a little bit of, it took a little bit of faith. And, um, yeah, so that was one experience we had way back in the beginning. Then we, we finally found some people who were willing to kind of point us in the right direction, people who were fans of what we did, believed in our mission, and uh, you know took it from there. And then obviously as the regulations have gotten more pronounced and you know everyone understands the law up in Washington, it's been a lot easier to find you know really solid people with really um, – with really good backgrounds to help us with product development. So I think by 2016, you know, practically going online or, you know, opening up the phone book, so to speak, you can, you can pick someone out of the phone book, so to speak, and they'll, they'll probably be willing to help you. You know, I can also imagine, you know, thinking back to 2008, I mean, even though we are still very early in the, you know, young days of the industry, in 2008, you know, most of the analytics labs weren't even around yet. And so I can imagine that getting your product tested so that you can, you know, check for homogenization and make sure there wasn't any drift in the, in the potency of your product, you know, you probably had to really kind of bend over backwards to get that testing done. Yeah. Well, in 2008, it was really when the idea was born and the the product development probably started towards the tail end of 2008 and yeah we we would try the products and based on on the the psychoactive effects the potency in that sense we went wow this is too strong mm-hmm. so we the very first products we dialed back the potency without even having testing available to us um and then 2009, um, the, I mean, this is like so kind of archaic, but in 2009, you know, there's a lot of people and we were one of them, uh, who basically denoted the potency of the product based on an X. So we would have like a one X or a five X or a 15 X product. And we knew what that X stood for as far as, uh, the potency that it, imposed on us psychoactively, but we still didn't attribute milligrams of THC to that X. Um, To this day, I still use in my head that process of, oh, this is a 5X or a 15X (laughs) because I know that that X stands for 0.28 grams of cannabis. And, you know, based off the material we use, that is about 12 milligrams of THC. So, 
Um, in California, one of the things we do, obviously we do all the testing we can now, and we, we base all of the milligramage on testing, but um, we still use in California the notion of translating the milligrams of THC into a comparable um, amount of dry cannabis, just so the, the, the uninitiated uh, consumer can get a sense of, you know, if someone has no idea what um, 180 milligrams of THC will do to them, it helps us to say, well, that's actually the equivalent of, of about 4.2 milligrams of, of trim cannabis, um, just so it, they have something to compare it to. But I think, you know, pretty soon here, we'll probably be able to retire that yeah. and just go with milligrams of THC because it's a question we always like to ask people. And, you know, ask, I ask to people every day when they're, you know, familiar with our products or familiar with edibles in general, I say, oh, so what's your dose in, in terms of milligrams of THC? Just because I'd like to track, you know, how, um, you know, how sophisticated or where people are getting in terms of knowing their dose in terms of milligrams. I think that's a good point, too, because, um, you know, as California moves toward more towards full legalization, I mean, like right now, you, uh, testing is not mandatory. And so it's good that you do testing as part of your product development and manufacturing. But since it's not mandated, it's going to be a good thing when all the products are tested and potency is not a guesstimation. And instead, there's there's actual certification alongside with it at the dispensary. Yeah, I mean, a, a big thing to remember, too, at this stage, um, testing is a guesstimation. I mean, because there are no standards uh, in most states, um, the labs do not share their, their uh, protocol for mm -hmm. how they mm -hmm. test. All the various labs still consider that proprietary. So, you know, I know there's a American Herbal Products Association and some other people are suggesting and publishing some cannabis standards, but whether or not people use them, I think, uh, is still largely voluntary. So, yeah, I mean, not only do we need, um, you know, m more testing and, uh, you know, perhaps the, the mandate of making testing absolutely, uh, required, um, but we need to get all the labs on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, national standards. We did a show about that um, a couple months ago, uh, talking about how challenging it is because so many of the people who would be making um, both the standards for HPLC machines, but also the standards of of uh, uh, the protocols, they live in different states, and none of them want to ship. Uh, cannabis product back and forth to each other so that they can replicate each other's tests. And so we're, we need something to happen at the national level so that, you know, the top of the line scientists that are, live in different states can, can help us set up these protocols without feeling like they're putting themselves at, you know, a career or a criminal risk. Um, before we go to the break, I also I want to talk about your preferred extraction technique for the oil that goes into your edibles because you know I've seen people try you know every kind of oil into edibles. Do you have one particular technique that you like across the board, or does the extraction technique uh, is it really dependent on what the product is it's going into? It really depends on the product. I don't want to get too specific because there are secrets, but uh, we've definitely learned certain extraction um, processes work better for certain products. 
Um, one place where I, I definitely draw the line is anytime we extract CBD or anytime we acquire uh, extracted CBD, I want it to be done uh, via CO2. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. But, um, you know, to be quite honest, I think all extraction methods have their place. Uh, maybe not all of them in California yet, but in Washington, they definitely all have their place. There's there's benefits to all of them, um, you know, whether it be increased terpene content or extra, uh, increased efficiency. Uh, but um, I, I like to uh, I, I like to utilize them all. Right on. Fair enough. Well, let's go ahead and take another short break. We will be right back. You are listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. Because you listen to the Gontrepreneur podcast, it is very likely that you are a business owner now or that you plan on getting into cannabis soon. If you're starting a business, at some point you're going to want some swag with your name on it to give away or maybe even to sell. Promotional items are a way to stay in your customer's life long after you come into contact with them. You know, it reminds them to double back and buy more of your stuff, but it also reminds them to tell their friends about you. Well, at Gondrepreneur, we've been asked by so many new cannabis business owners for referrals on promotional items because they're, you know, getting ready for a convention or a party or they just want to give it away that we went ahead and brought together some preferred vendors and we put them on our website for you. The web address is gondrepreneur.com forward slash promo items. Everybody loves doing lighters and t-shirts, and those are still huge winners, of course. But some folks are even now doing logoed silicone dab jars and rig rags, too. There's so much to choose from. The website is gondrepreneur.com forward slash promo items. Go get some cool stuff to promote your company. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Kenny Morrison, founder of Venice Cookie Company and co-founder of Evergreen Herbal. So, so Kenny, you know, we were talking about the, uh, the, the products that you're bringing to market and the, the amount of care and, and retrial that you put into them. And, you know, once you have those products up and going, you know, the, the, the customers come to you, they find that you're reliable, you develop a good reputation, and then you expand it into Washington State. The, the brand in California uh, was originally... Um, Venice Cookie Company, and then became VCC Brands. But in Washington, uh, you are Evergreen Herbal. What was the the key sign that you saw happen in Washington that caused you to say, okay, it's time to go to Washington? Reasonable thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I, I think when you, you see smaller states with maybe less special interests or less righteousness to put it in a different term uh you know they're they're a little quicker to act they're not such a giant ship it takes forever to steer and and they're able to be more decisive on uh you know what they think is is right for their people so uh why washington over colorado it's a good question because you know after california we could have we could have headed east to Colorado. Instead, we headed north to Washington. I think the idea, you know, to be quite honest, is you know the states were similar in size, had similar populations, and um, 
less people had been up in Washington than Colorado. So we just thought it made sense to head north, relocate, and, um, you know, maybe try and lock down the West Coast as far as, um, you know, acceptance of our brands across the whole West Coast. Sure. And there sure is a lot of uh, uh, transiency between people between Washington and California. So, you know, as as folks go back and forth for vacations or they're moving or something, they're taking their brand affiliation, you know, with them. I was also thinking that with with, you know, half the states in the country having medical now and now having um, a small handful having recreational as well, you know, the, the demand for cannabis experts to feed the market is is just growing and growing you know did are, are you experiencing any challenges hiring um experienced workers in either of the states we've definitely seen um the the, the pool of talent get deeper over the years um we definitely had more access to more talent quicker in washington based on um the clarity in the regulations um, you know, based on the kind of the, the political climate surrounding enforcement and all that. Um, but over the years, um, yeah, in general, we've seen it get better. And sometimes we've actually relocated people from Washington uh, to California to, uh, you know, to help out California. You know, that says a lot, too, about your commitment to the employees. You know, a lot of people uh, bring in employees, and, and if they want to raise or, or, or after they've learned what the employee knows, they'll dump them. But your willingness to, to move employees and, and encourage their, you know, uh, uh, increase in education and, and try to uh, preserve that corporate memory uh, says a lot about your value of your employees. You know, Marco and I's background was filmmaking. So Marco as a cinematographer and um, me as a filmmaker, we um, we love collaboration, you know, and that's something, you know, I, I, I've said this to other people, but I think a big part of where we got our work ethic came from uh, the production industry because, you know, you're, you, you, you relocate, you're on location, you work 14, 16, 18 hour days, you get it done first and foremost. If, if the day goes over, you keep working until you finish and, um, you, you create some really strong, deep bonds because, you know, production, you know, whether it's production of cannabis products or production of, of film or television or whatever, you kind of give your life to it. So, uh, yeah, I, I love working with the employees. Um, I love developing employees. I also love hiring employees that don't need to be developed. But yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I, I love the process of of building something and doing it with good people and creating a family. And we've always referred to um, the companies as a family. And of course, like any family, you're going to have your dysfunctional moments and things you have to work through. But it's it's really about creating a culture where where people know they can speak up and they can be heard and they're valued and um, they're encouraged to be themselves. You know, like something I love telling employees is thank you for being you, you know, because it's that diversity. It's it's that self-confidence. It's that encouragement that we give to each other that uh, creates a fun culture and a, a place that's fun to work, but also a place where you, you enjoy working really hard. Yeah, right on. That makes a lot of sense. And, and so, so 
Let's talk about a dysfunctional moment because, you know, this discussion would not be complete without me asking you about the raid of your California facility a couple months ago. You know, I'm oh, sure dear. We'd, we'd love to hear that story. Can you share it? Boy, oh boy, we could fill podcast after podcast. It's really a shame this is your last one because, uh, you know, I was going to save all that for your next podcast. <laughs> so, uh, well, right on. So, so I guess, so if you, if you can't really talk about it, cause I know a lot of that stuff is still up in the air legally and stuff, you know, for what would you, uh, suggest as, uh, best practices that other entrepreneur, you know, business owners who have got cannabis uh, businesses, do you have any like advice for them? You know, uh, I think if, if we looked at what we've seen happen in California lately in the last few months, there's been some really great companies that have had, uh, had issues with being raided. And, um, in California, I think at this stage, it still makes sense to be prepared for a raid. Um, you know, the, it, it's been said that in the final year of alcohol prohibition, there were more raids in that last year than there were in the previous 12 combined. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to make any predictions here, but, you know, raids are still happening in California. Um, and, you know, if, if you plan on, um, being in the space, uh, you know, you might have some sort of raid preparedness plan in place. Your you, your employees definitely need to know that they're going to be taken care of. They definitely need to know that um, you're going to have their back, and uh, they definitely need to know that um, they should ask for an attorney be present if uh, anyone wants to ask them questions, because anything you say can and <laughs> will be used against you. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, so that's, that's, that's that. Right on. Fair enough. So, you know, um, you know, hopefully the days of the raids for legitimate businesses will, um, be behind us soon. You know, I know that, um, you know, folks, folks are kind of, of cut both ways in California about the, uh, adult use act, uh, being potentially passed in California this November. You know, there's, there's a lot of the artisan growers and, 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 and heritage era growers who are concerned about being squeezed out. Folks are, you know, concerned about the losing some of the family vibe of the industry as it becomes a little bit more commercial. Uh, but at the same time, other folks are really stoked to have the standardized practices and, and more testing and things like that. What, what are your feelings about uh, the potential passing in, uh, in November? You know, there's good and bad with everything. And um, we, can, we can look back on bygone eras with the sentimental lens and, um, uh, you know, see, see the good and how things used to be. And we can definitely look forward and, and see the good and how those things will be. Um, or, you know, things that aren't so great. One thing I really, really appreciate about AUMA is the fact that, um, boy, I'm going to butcher this and say this poorly, is the fact that, uh, you know, it, it, it does away with, um, uh, it, it absolves a lot of people of their, of their past records. Mm -hmm. Um, and it allows people who are still in, in prison or jail for nonviolent, uh, cannabis or, or, or other related offenses, um, uh, the ability to use the new law as a way to, um, uh, 
fight to get out of jail. And, you know, again, you know, people have said it much better than me. Um, you know, when the worst part of the drug war is uh, the fact that it can send you to jail, when, when the harm done by the, the enforcement is worse than the harm done by the plant, we have an issue. And um, AUMA is really going to help a lot of people with the harm that's been done to them by enforcement. And it's going to prevent a lot of future people from having uh, harm done to them by enforcement. You know, people who, who, who should be able to qualify for student loans and stuff like that. Um, uh, and, yeah, there's, there's going to be winners and losers. You know, that's, that's how life is. You know, uh, we were raided in California. And from our perspective, that raid wasn't fair. Um, but it was something that we knew was a possibility um, because uh, enforcement has a different perspective on how to enforce law than, you know, maybe a cannabis act a advocate like myself. Um, and nothing simple, you know, nothing simple. And in a lot of ways, AUMA can be viewed as a compromise. And boy, oh boy, maybe I'm sounding political and diplomatic right now. But um, I think part of being a success in the cannabis industry because this is an, a show for entrepreneurs and whatnot is you have to be able to roll with the punches, you know, and that's what separates the winners from the losers sometimes is being able to roll with the punches or navigate them when they're, when someone's swinging at you. And, um, the, everyone who's ever been in the cannabis industry has always had someone gunning for them in some respect. And, you know, I don't think we should think it's going to be different, uh, whether AUMA passes or not. Um, there's always going to be, um, people with opposed interests to your own, you know, vision or goals. And that's the push and pull of life, you know, and that's sort of what makes, life a fun challenge if you look at it that way it's it's a lot about perspective and you know god it's almost like they say in aa right it's a you know be aware of the things you can change except the things you can't you know keep on trucking or whatever the <laughs> slogan is but yeah you know i mean bottom line is if aoma passes does it stop me from from building my company no if aoma doesn't pass does it stop me from building my company? No. Could I have an opinion on it? Sure. But at the end of the day, am I going to keep going regardless? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I could be a pundit, but I guess I'd rather be a philosopher and just say, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm in this, I'm in this, I'm in this forever and I'm, I'm dedicated to this. I truly believe legal cannabis makes the world a slightly better place. And that's not because you have to use it to make the world a better place. I really think if people just accept others who use it, it makes the world a better place. If people are just a little more tolerant of people's differences, it makes the world a better place. Um, you know, and I think something we've seen a lot in the media lately is, uh, you know, a, a discourse on whether or not, uh, you know, enforcement needs to be a little more tolerant of, of, of people. And I think tolerant communities are beautiful communities. And I think uh, mainstream acceptance of cannabis is, is, will help push tolerance more into the mainstream 
That's really, wow, I've never said it like that, but I mm -hmm. like that. That's really my goal is to make tolerance mainstream. And if people can, you know, if tolerance goes mainstream, whether it's gay marriage or cannabis or blah, 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 I think the world's a better place. And that's what I'm about. Right on, man. I think that is really well said and, and sets us up for a good place to stop today. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Kenny. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Kenny Morrison is founder of Venice Cookie Company and co-founder of Evergreen Herbal. You can find out more at venicecookiecompany.com and forevergreenherbal.com. Uh, I especially suggest that you check out the About Us section on the Venice Cookie Company website for a great beach video showing the VCC manufacturing process alongside some great branding. So uh, it's a really great piece. So if you're, uh, if you're interested, go ahead and check that out. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcriptions of this podcast. You can also download the gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. For info on me and where I will be speaking and doing next, go to shangolos.com. Do you have a company that wants to reach our national audience of cannabis enthusiasts? Email grow at gontrepreneur.com to find out how. Today's show is produced by Michael Rowe. I've been your host, Shango Rose.